Let's take our Bibles tonight. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places in the Bible. Start with Luke chapter 18. When you reach Luke 18, if you want to go ahead and put a marker there, and then go over to Luke chapter number 11. So Luke chapter 18, and then Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to begin this evening. On Wednesday nights, we've been in kind of a topical series and really kind of bouncing around with some topics. Uh, really, these are questions that have been asked. The title of the series is, uh, Have You Ever Wondered? And the, the questions are, or the, uh, the messages are really based around questions that many people have, or some of you have submitted these questions as well. And uh, the question tonight that we're going to be trying to address is really uh, somewhat of a complex subject in the scriptures, but I'm going to do my best by the Lord's grace to uh, give you some principles about it. But here's the question, why is it that God expects us to beg him or to ask him over and over for things that we already know he wants to do or uh, things that he has said he will do? And, uh, and so why is it, and maybe we could word it this way, why is it that we have to pray multiple times for things if we already know that this is what God wants to do? I think that's a fair question, and so we're going to try to answer that uh, from Scripture tonight, and hopefully that will help you. So if you've reached those two places in Luke, let's stand together, and we're going to begin in chapter number 11, Luke chapter 11, and verse number 1. The Bible says here, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased... One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, give him, uh, for, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now let's go over to Luke chapter 18 
And we'll begin reading in verse number 1 once again. It says here, And he spake, unto, uh, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That means to not cease praying. Saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. What's interesting is in these two places that we just read, the Bible gives us a, a parable, an example, and then it states a truth. And the truth seems to be maybe even a little bit contradictory to the parable. What do I mean by that? Well, in both of these parables, the parable of the man who came to his friend at midnight and the parable of the widow that went to the unjust judge, you have someone who has no desire, who has the ability to help, but no desire to help. And the illustration and the example that is being set is essentially the only reason that they're helping is not out of the goodness of their heart, and not because they desire to be of help, but because they just don't want to be bothered anymore. And through the persistence of the asker, they finally give in, and do and grant the request so that they will no longer be bothered. In Luke chapter 11, it says that the, the friend says within himself, it says of the friend rather, that he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. In other words, the friendship was not strong enough for that man to go out of his way and provide the three loaves. But because of his importunity, because the guy wanted to get some sleep and the neighbor wouldn't leave him alone, finally said, fine, I'm going to grant your request because you just won't leave me alone. And here in Luke 18, the example is of this widow who comes to this uh, unjust judge who has no regard for God or man and really wants nothing to do with this woman. But because she won't stop pestering him, he finally says, because you won't leave me alone, I'm, gonna, I'm going to avenge her. And this is what he says, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then, so, so that's the, the, the illustration, is these people who bother someone to the point where they're finally willing to give in. And that may seem to us that, well, is God saying that essentially we need to pray in such a way that we just bother God long enough that finally he's just willing because he doesn't want to put up with our continual asking again 
that he'll finally grant us our request. If you weren't careful, you might walk away with that thought. And yet, after each of these illustrations, after each of these parables is given, we find a very clear statement that is made inviting us to come and make our request known unto God. And accompanied with that is a promise that God will answer. So, for instance, it says in in, uh, the beginning, rather, of of Luke chapter 18, he says that he spake this parable unto unto them to this end, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And in Luke chapter 11, what does he say? Verse number 9, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So this is the the one who is on the receiving end of the request is now inviting the prayer to come with their request. And if you're not careful, it might seem like these two things are contradictory. Am I bothering God by continually coming to Him? Or is He actually wanting me to pray? And the answer to that is actually pretty clear. God wants us, has even commanded us to pray to Him. And He's commanded us to pray with persistence. And yet, in this command and in this invitation to pray, he has made it clear that it is of no bother to him because he desires that we would ask him. He is requesting and even commanding us and saying, listen, if you want something, if you need something, you need to come and ask. And if you'll ask, it will be given. And this is very clear in the Bible. For instance, in 1 John Chapter 5. In fact, let's hold our place here in Luke and go over to 1 John 5. And I want to show you that this is is a clear principle in Scripture. That when we pray, God hears us and God answers our prayer. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14. Here's what it says. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will... He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And this is one of many places in Scripture that we could turn that promise us if we pray and ask for something, that God will answer our prayer. For instance, John 15 and verse 16 says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Matthew chapter 18 says, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. James chapter 4 makes this statement, ye have not because ye ask not. Where we read there in Luke chapter 11, it states that we can ask and we will receive, right? Ask and ye shall receive. Uh, Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. These are promises where we're told if we will ask anything in faith and according to God's will, that he hears us and that he answers our prayer. So why is it then that if if, if God has promised to answer and we know that he wants to answer, why is he 
asking us to pray over and over and over again. That's the question. That's kind of the setup to this. Why, this these, these thoughts seem to contradict one another, don't they? Doesn't it seem like if God is going to answer, if I can believe that God is going to answer, may, why is it that I don't just have to pray one time? Why do I really have to pray at all? I mean, after all, God is sovereign, right? He's in control of everything. He declares the end from the beginning. And so, does it really make a difference when I pray? Well, James chapter 5 would indicate that it does because it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So prayer does make a difference so long as it is effectual and fervent. Effectual means effective. It means, it, it means prayer that actually matters. Did you know it's pray, it is possible to pray ineffectually? James chapter 4, for instance, I referenced it a moment ago. It says, ye, ye have not because ye ask not. Ye, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. You're not praying according to God's will. You're praying for your own selfish desires. So God wants us to pray effectually and he wants us to pray fervently. And fervent has to do with our level of commitment. And so tonight I'm going to try, by God's grace, to answer, to give you a couple of biblical principles that may have, if you've wondered this in your own mind, I'm going to try to give you a couple of biblical principles that may help you as you try to understand, why does God ask me to pray, and not only to pray, but to pray without ceasing, to always pray and not faint, and to pray fervently, if God is already going to do what he's going to do, and if he's already promised that he's going to answer, why do I need to pray persistently? Let me say this, first of all, I believe that God is sometimes looking for persistence in our lives to see really how serious we are about having something answered. How many of you parents have ever, maybe one of your kids has asked for something, and you know that with that thing is going to come some responsibility. And before you're willing to grant that request, you need some proving ground. And you need to see that there is commitment on their part, that if they're going to do this, that they're going to be responsible with it. I believe sometimes God is looking at us to see how committed we really are. And so, for instance, as I just quoted James chapter 5 and verse 16, where it says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Why does it need to be effectual and fervent? Could it be that God is looking for some persistence in our lives? Go with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Kings. In chapter number 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. 
we find an example of a man who in some ways wanted God's will so long as it met his desires, but really was not committed to doing what God really wanted him to do. So 2 Kings chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 14. It says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And that's kind of a... It was kind of a, a, a greeting... Grieving over the fact that he's about to die is really what that was. <clears throat> and as he, he makes that statement, which is really kind of ironic, because if you know anything about the life of Joash, he wasn't a godly man, and really in his life couldn't have cared less what, jo what Elisha had to say. But now, in the end of Elisha's life, he's grieving. And it says in verse 15, And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, that's Elisha said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrian, Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them, consumed them. Now, I want you to think about this with me. The king of Israel comes to Elisha, presumably with some kind of a question. It doesn't say what he came to him about, but it must have been some kind of a question about the Syrian army and their oppression of Israel. And so Elisha gives him this prophecy. And the prophecy really is to, to say, this is what the Lord wants to do with you. And he has him open this window to the east and to take a bow and shoot the arrow outside of the window. And he says that that, that arrow is symbolic of the, uh, the arrow of the Lord. And what God is going to do is he is going to give you a victory over the Syrians. And you're going to smite the Syrians in Aphek. And then I want you to notice what it says in verse number 18. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. So in other words, he gives him this prophecy. And to us, it, this, this may seem, seem kind of like an odd uh, interaction between a king and a prophet. But what he says to do, he's just promised him that God is going to give him victory over the Syrians. 
And then he gives him another instruction. He says, take these arrows in your hand and smite on the ground. And apparently this king was, was aware of the fact, okay, th this, is a, this is symbolic. Obviously, I just did this thing. I just shot this arrow out of the window. That was symbolic of the Lord's victory. And now I'm being told to take these arrows and smite on the ground. This is symbolic of what God's going to do through me. And so he takes those arrows and he hits the ground three times. And Elisha immediately responds with anger and he says, Listen, you should have, you should have smitten the ground five or six times. You should have been committed to this. I just told you that the Lord was going to give you victory. Why did you not follow through? But you are content to smite three times. Therefore, you're going to smite the Syrians three times. And that's going to be it. You're not going to completely do away with the Syrians. Why? Because you weren't persistent enough. You see how this is an example of, uh, of God wanting to do something through a man. But really... To some degree, the Lord withheld some blessing because that man was not all that committed to being obedient to the Lord in that thing. This man, this king, Joash, was, had, didn't have a track record of being obedient to God and really was apathetic toward the things of the Lord. And even though the Lord wanted to do something great through him, his lack of commitment to even the prophecy was evidence that he was not committed to doing what God wanted him to do thoroughly. And so the Lord said, okay, fine. If that's as far as you're willing to go, this is as far as I'm willing to go. And friend, could it be, could it be that sometimes the Lord will allow us to pray for something over and over and over and over because he wants us to show a degree of commitment to his will. Lord, I'm committed to seeing this thing through. And by your grace, I want to see this thing through. I believe sometimes the Lord will allow us to pray persistently with what the Bible calls in Luke 11, importunity. Because he doesn't want us to be flippant about what he's about to do. He wants us to be committed and all in on this thing. I think I've told the story before that my grandmother on my mom's side got saved, I think, in the early 1960s. And she prayed for my grandpa to get saved for their entire marriage. Somewhere close to 60 years before he finally surrendered to Christ. She prayed for him. At any point, I'm sure it would have been easy for her to just say, you know what, I've prayed for this for years. I've been praying for five years. I've been praying for ten years. Apparently God's not going to answer this prayer. Now in the case of praying for a lost soul, we have to remember there's another free will involved in this. God doesn't twist anyone's arm. 
He's not going to force you to be saved. But he does work in people's heart. He does soften their hearts and bring circumstances into their life, hopefully to wake them up and things of that nature. But it'd be easy to just pray and say, you know what, maybe this is just never going to happen. But I remember times as a child after she'd been praying probably for 30 plus years. And I remember so vividly watching, walking into the living room of my grandparents' house and seeing my grandma there with an open Bible and tears streaming down her face and they're dripping on the pages of her Bible as she's praying to God for Pete to be saved. For years she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. I'm just saying, folks, I think sometimes God wants to see how committed we are to see something through. And it's possible that that could be one of the reasons that he would ask us to pray with fervency, with commitment. And let me say this also. If you're praying for something that you really believe to be God's will and you have not seen the answer to that, don't give up. Don't give up. Stick with it. Keep praying. Learn from the widow and learn from the friend that came to his friend. And even though the people they were asking didn't have their best interest in mind, they were just worried about themselves. God does care about you. And he loves you. And he wants to bless you. Don't stop praying. So sometimes I think God is looking for persistence in our lives. But let me say this also. One of the primary purposes in prayer is actually, this may sound strange to you, one of the primary purposes in prayer is not just to get our requests answered, but to align our will with God's will. One of the primary purposes in prayer is to align our will with God's will. And I think the perfect example of that would be over in Matthew chapter 26 as we watch Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, we know, was at all times yielded to his Father's will, and he always did those things which pleased his Father. He was in subjection to his Heavenly Father. He was led by the Spirit at all times in his life. And yet Jesus... And folks, I will admit, my mind cannot fully comprehend this, but being fully God and fully man, though he was yielded and surrendered to the will of the Father, that did not necessarily mean at all times he wanted to do what the Father wanted him to do. Because in Matthew 26... Verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his prey face and prayed saying oh my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as thou wilt and 
he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So three times Jesus prays this prayer, and here's what it is. Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there is any way that, that your will can be accomplished without me having to take the sin of, of the world upon myself, without uh, uh, me having to go to the cross and to become sin and be separated from you, if there's any way that, that your will can be done apart from that, please do it. But regardless of what I want, may your will be done. Not what I'm asking for, not my will, but thy will be done. And then I want you to notice verse number 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Folks, again, I, I want to be very careful because it's, it's hard for my human mind to grasp all of the intricacies of the, the dual nature of Christ and how all of this worked. But here's what I know. When Jesus went into that garden, he was in great heaviness and sorrow, pleading with his father that he could be delivered from what was about to happen. But at the end of the passage that we just read, it seems as though he's accepted the will of the father. Now, when I say he accepted it, at no point was Jesus at risk of disobeying the will of his father. He was always yielded to it, but it seems at this point that he was resigned to it. That at some point, the grace of God the Father came upon him in such a way that he was, that his will had now aligned with his Father's will. And he says to his disciples, sleep on now. In other words, it's, it's going to be okay. What's done is done. I've prayed to my father, and oh, by the way, I didn't walk out of there having changed his mind. The outcome didn't change. But my will is aligned with his will. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's an example of a man who is not divine, Paul. who experienced something not, I, I don't want to say similar to what Jesus did, but a familiar situation here in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, as Paul says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And so Paul here describes that, that he had received this thorn in the flesh and there's much debate as to what that was. But whatever it was that this thorn in the flesh that Paul had, it was given to him by God for a purpose. And that purpose was to keep him from being exalted above measure, in his own eyes, no doubt, as well as in the eyes of other people. It was to keep him humble. And so this thing was, whatever it was, was debilitating, it was troubling, it was difficult. And he, he refers to it as the messenger of Satan to buffet him. It was not something that any of us would welcome into our lives. And he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I went to the Father three times about this need. That it might depart from me. My specific prayer was that I would be healed or delivered from this thorn in the flesh. I prayed for this specifically and deliberately. Now, this is where I think my understanding of this passage may differ from some of yours and certainly from some of the other brethren, and we can all get along. We don't all have to agree on this, okay? But the response of the Lord here, I've heard, I've heard preachers say, Paul asked God to do something three times and God said no. But I don't believe that's actually what God said. Because if you read verse number 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So he, he, he doesn't say, Paul, I will not answer this prayer and deliver you. He doesn't say that. He says, I, I want you to know that my grace is enough to carry you through this. And then Paul's response, notice this. Because then he says this, most gladly, therefore, will I, what is the next word? The next word is rather. Rather. Rather refers to a decision, does it not? I would rather do this than this. Rather than this, I choose this. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Now, you could say that this is just a statement, rather than complaining, I'm going to rejoice. And that was certainly true. But it seems to me as though the Lord is actually presenting him with an option. Paul, you can be delivered because I've already promised Whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. But, 
My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. You have an opportunity to experience the grace of God in your life in a way that you can't when all is well. And Paul's response there is, I take pleasure in infirmities. I, 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 my whole perspective changed. Now, we can sit here and debate whether God would have delivered him had he continued praying or not. But we can all agree that Paul's, Paul's statement here is this. When I went to God in prayer, my thought process was that I must be delivered. But I walked away from that prayer content with the, the position that God had me in in life because... I began to understand some things that I didn't understand before, and now I know that this is God's will for me, and my will is aligned with His will. And I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me than to be even delivered or to continue, continue seeking His healing, His deliverance from this thing, because it's better for me to be in the will of God than to have my own way. Folks, how often do we go to God with this expectation that He has to answer all of our prayers in exactly the way that we think He needs to answer? I mean, there are people, I could, I could lead you to people, people that I know personally, and multitudes more that I've talked to over the years who, who have denied God because they prayed for something and it didn't come to pass. I prayed that God would heal my child and then he died. I prayed that God would save my marriage, but my wife left me and married someone else and I lost faith in God because he didn't do what I asked him to do. But maybe we're missing the point altogether. Maybe it is so that God would have us to pray in such a way that we would come to Him and say, Lord, it really isn't about what I want. It's about what you want. And I want your will in my life. And I know that your way is better than my way. And even if that means... That at the end of the day and at the end of this journey, I don't get what I think I need. What you give me is better than what I would choose for myself. But friends, that's a process. And sometimes it requires some persistence. You don't align your will with God's when you pray for something one time. You don't come to accept God's will when you flippantly, okay, Lord, fix this, do this. I'm not saying God doesn't answer us in that way. There are times, folks, I, I could give you examples of things where, I mean, I prayed for something and almost immediately God, God answered that. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well. Sometimes He does. But there are some things in life, folks, that He just puts before us that require continual, persistent, importunate prayers where we continually come to Him. 
And we continually come to him. And you say, what's going to be the outcome of that? I don't know. Maybe years down the road, you're going to find your answer. Or maybe God's going to give you grace and understanding in a way that you had not previously expected. But whatever it is, pray. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You keep bringing it to God. You keep trusting God. You keep letting God lead. And at the end of the day, while I cannot fully grasp and understand all of the ways of the Lord, friend, I, I'm a simple man. I, don't, I can't describe how the uh, eternal purposes of God and the foreknowledge of God and the sovereignty of God relate with the free will of man. I, I can't fully describe that. But here's what I know. God has told us to pray. And he's even told us that we don't always know how to pray and what to pray for. But either way, he's told us to pray. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why does God have us pray persistently and consistently, sometimes for weeks, months, and even years? Well, it could be that he's looking for a commitment from us. He's waiting to see how passionate we are about something and how committed we are to being fervent in that. Or maybe it's that it's just necessary for us to align our will with His will. But ultimately we pray because that's what we can do. We can bring our request to God and we can know that what, what we ask for according to His will, He will give us. And what He doesn't give us is still within our best interest to be in His will and so we pray, and we come before Him, and we don't give up, and we don't say, just because I prayed one time or three times and God didn't give it to me. No, we continually come before the Lord and take Him up on His offer to bring our needs before Him. And friend, I will say this, and this is consistent with the Word of God, and it's true of my own personal experience and everyone that I've ever known who has sought to pray in life. Regardless of how God has answered or seemingly hasn't answered some prayer, I know this. He has always been good to me and he's always met my every need. And at times he's led me in ways that I wouldn't have chosen for myself. But he led me exactly where I needed to be. And I don't know what it is in your life that you might be praying about and even wondering, Lord, why has this not yet come to pass? I don't know what those things are. And I don't know, I don't have the answer for you. Other than simply to say, keep trusting God, keep praying. And keep yielding 
to the will of your heavenly Father.